0: God wants to plant the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, inside your heart. And slowly but surely, He wants to conform you to look and live like Jesus. He wants to plant through the Holy Spirit His love.
1: Learning to recognize the supernatural works of God this Christmas season. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The Trinity of God can be hard to wrap our minds around, one god in three persons but certainly one aspect of god seems more mysterious to us than the others with this in mind today david concludes his message called the holy spirit
0: i do believe with all of my heart that god gives some of his people a supernatural mystical prayer language for those who say well tongues is the proof of the infilling of the holy spirit on your life i want to go not true Because really when that gift is given, you're in great weakness. You're groaning. You don't know what to pray for. I know in my life it's been like, David, you're broken, you're humbled right now. Here, you might need this. I don't know what God's doing. I'm broken again. And so I offer to God a prayer in an unknown language. And here's what the Bible says. That the spirit who lives within me makes the request to the father who knows his will for my life. So therefore I can pray in, in that spirit living within me and know that my father in heaven the who is taking care of the groanings. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever groaned? Come on now. Raise your hand liar liar pants on fire. Come on. We've all just had those moments where we're groaning. God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. I don't get this. And it's then that the language is given to God, and he knows his perfect will. There's the empowering us to witness. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For those who say tongues is the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I say garbage Jesus said the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, is evangelism. It's your willingness to witness. Some of you are afraid what other people might think of getting rejected. And yet when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you don't care what other people think. You don't care about being rejected. Because you know to give Jesus witness is the highest honor possible. Seventh, spiritual life transformation. I'm going to spend the rest of the message here because this is so important, folks. The major work, in my opinion, of the Holy Spirit in us is spiritual life transformation. Here's how it goes. First of all, there's the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus said in John 16, 8, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Folks, those are the three areas I have to continually combat secularists with. They don't believe they're sinners. They believe they're good people and occasionally do bad things. They don't believe that there's any righteousness in the world, that it's all kind of up in the air, whatever you want to do, however you want to live. And thirdly, they don't believe there's judgment, that there's an eternal judgment and that there's a hell, separation from God forever. But Jesus said it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of that. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the first thing you'll know is you're a sinner. The second thing you'll know is you're not righteous, and you can't do it in your own works. I love 2 Corinthians five twenty one, where Paul said, He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin, took our sin upon him, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. David Chadwick is righteous only because of the work of Jesus on the cross. The Holy Spirit tells me that. And thirdly, he convinces me that there is a judge who oversees my life and I'm accountable to him one day. And I'll either be separated from him or live with him forever according to the work of Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convict me of that. Now, in Mark, the third chapter, Jesus says he warns us not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Through the years, I've invariably had people come to me and say, "Uh uh-oh, I'm worried, David. I have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I've said, I wonder if the Holy Spirit's real. Well, here's my answer always. If you're worried about having blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you haven't. You with me? If you're worried that you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you haven't. Because the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is the continued resistance of the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And you continue to resist that over and over and over again. And only God knows where it is. But in the heart, you eventually say, I don't believe enough, and God cannot reach you. It's the sin unto death that the Bible talks about. So if you feel any promptings in your heart today that you're a sinner... You're not righteous, there's a judgment to come, the Holy Spirit's working on you. Especially if you don't believe, he's trying to drive you to Jesus, to show you you need a savior. Next work of the Holy Spirit internally to transform us is to show us truth, John 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So so the Holy Spirit's work is to reveal to us that there's absolute truth. In our society today, there are a fair number of secularists, especially atheists, who do not believe there's absolute truth. They very proudly proclaim, truth is relative. Truth is what you believe and what I believe. Now, if anyone ever tells you that there is no such thing as absolute truth, here's what you need to respond with. That's an absolute statement. You with me? If someone says there's no absolute truth, you need to say to them, that's an absolute statement. How do you know there's no absolute truth? The Spirit's the one that convicts us that there's right and wrong. Probably what's happening in the world most today that's beginning to convince some secularists there is absolute truth is ISIS. As evil and horrific as that is, it's beginning to show people there has to be absolute truth because that's really evil. That's really unjust. And you can't declare something really evil or unjust unless it's absolutely evil and unjust. By the way, I'm gonna get more into this in the first message after the new year, that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Jesus said himself, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. Also, the Holy Spirit gives the new creation. Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's born of water and the spirit. Unless God is the one who looks over your heart and the tohu wabohu of your formless void and of all the darkness that is, is there and speaks the word through the power of the Holy Spirit to do the new creation within you, you're not born again. And believe me, you know if that's happened. If you're wondering whether you've been born again or not, you probably haven't been. Because when you've been born of the Spirit and you know your sin, your unrighteousness, the judgments before you and God saved you from hell through Jesus, you know that new life. You can't help but. There's also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said in Luke three sixteen, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Read the last part with me, folks. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the Holy Spirit's work is to baptize us. Uh, Water baptism, when you receive Jesus, you go entirely under the water, every part of you, right? You don't go under the water holding your wallet out, right? I thought that'd get a better chuckle than it got, okay. It, It baptizes every part of you. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, it means every part of your life is under the power of God. There's nothing that's not under his power. What does it mean to be baptized with fire? It means that every past part of your life that's godless is burned up. A part of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is this key word, repentance. The best definition of repentance I've ever heard is stop it. Stop doing what offends a holy God whose Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Then there's being filled with the Holy Spirit Ephesians five eighteen, Paul said, "And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit." Let me tell you a term that makes no sense. Very unique. Makes no sense. If something's unique, it can't be very unique. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, every part of your life is filled with the Holy Spirit. Every part. Same like baptism. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul says here clearly, and this this is probably a whole another message I need to get into at some point in the future. He said, do not be drunk with wine. Marilyn and I have been in ministry for a long time. Several decades ago when we first came to Charlotte, when we go to the grocery store, there'd be a couple of shelves with wine bottles. Now there are a couple of rows with wine bottles. Our counseling department here would tell you that probably 60 to 70% of our issues are somehow alcohol or drug related. If you're using wine to medicate yourself or simply get through the day, something's wrong. Paul said you're not supposed to be dependent upon anything to help you in that way except the Holy Spirit. Personally, biblically, it's indefensible that you can't drink wine. Personally, I have one because I do not want to be controlled by wine because it can lead to debauchery. I wish you could hear the stories of people who come into this place and tell us about their lives being destroyed, their marriages being destroyed, losing their jobs, losing their homes because of alcohol addiction. The solution, don't be controlled by wine or alcohol or drugs. Be controlled, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Holy Spirit. Galatians five sixteen. Paul said, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. That word walk in the Greek is stoikomeo. Are you impressed I can say that? Stoikomeo, what does it mean? It's a military term. It describes a military army marching in lockstep with one another. That's what Paul's saying. Walk like a military soldier crucifying your selfish desires so the spirit can live through you practice the spiritual disciplines walk in the spirit Romans 8:15 i get your identity through the holy spirit paul in romans 8:15 for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father that term spirit small s means attitude So Paul is saying, don't return to an attitude of slavery. What does that mean? Before you met Jesus, you probably saw God as a master and you're a slave. That means you looked at God like someone who punished you severely if ever you stepped out of line. Therefore, you lived most of your life cowering in a fearful state that God's going to get you when you mess up. Paul says, don't have that kind of attitude as a follower of Jesus. But have the spirit, the attitude of adoption. What happens when you're born again, folks? Your spirit is made alive and made one with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit then tells our spirits that we are children of God. We're not in a master slave relationship with God, that He's our Abba, Daddy, who loves us deeply. And though he may discipline us from time to time, I've gotten a sovereign swat on the backside from time to time. You know what I'm talking about? He'll do that, but it's only for a moment. It's only to return us to a way to live that's pleasing to the Father. We never have to worry about a master kicking a slave out because he disobeys. We're always in a filial daddy son daughter relationship. When the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we daily, regularly hear that he's our daddy. God's our daddy. There's character development. Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul's basically saying here, did you note that it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not plural. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Who's the fruit? It's the Spirit, singular, Jesus. And when Jesus, his Spirit invade our heart and we're made one with Christ, the natural production of that union life is the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I wish that self-control wasn't in there, don't you? When our lives are rooted in Christ and his spirit, there is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Character development. God wants to develop your eternal character more than he wants your temporary comfort. And Paul says, against such things there is no law. What does he mean there? You can't produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can't produce this kind of character by law. If I stood up before you every week and went, you need to be more loving. You need to be more joyful. You need to be more self-controlled. It doesn't do any good. It doesn't produce the fruit. What produces the fruit? The root of the Spirit living in you. Then he is the advocate, the counselor, the helper, John fourteen twenty six. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, by the way, this is a great verse to look at. If ever if you ever wonder about how the New Testament was written, it was written partly by the Holy Spirit, inspired, bringing to mind to the apostles all that Jesus taught. them, then writing it down years later. But more importantly, Jesus says here, the helper, the Holy Spirit's given to you by the Father. Okay, three words can be translated helper, advocate, counselor, or helper. Real quickly, advocate, counselor is a defense attorney term. You do know, don't you, you have a prosecutorial attorney advocate. His name's the devil. And he is regularly railing against you with charges of how you've disappointed God. It is the voice of condemnation. Do any of you hear that voice? I hear him every minute. David, you scumbag, how could God possibly love you? And Jesus tells me the Holy Spirit who lives within me is my defense attorney. He's my advocate, my counselor, who says to me when I hear those charges of condemnation, they're not true. You've been born again through Jesus who's forgiven you of all of your sins. You're a child of God. You're loved by the Father in heaven. Isn't that good news? The Holy Spirit's our defense attorney, but he's also our helper. The term helper comes from the two Latin words, cum forte, with strength. It means, folks, when you're going through a difficult time, and my guess is most of you are, because you can't live in this world without going through them. When we go through those difficult times, it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the strength to keep moving forward. Don't you understand? When you ask me the question about what is God's will for my life, should I move to Cleveland or Savannah, Georgia, or wherever, and I go, I don't know. But I can tell you this is God's will for your life. Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what does this next part say, to be conformed to the image of His Son. I know that God wants to plant the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, inside your heart. And slowly but surely, He wants to conform you to look and live like Jesus. He wants to plant through the Holy Spirit His love. His love. And, and God wants thousands upon thousands of Christians filled with the love of Jesus loving one another and loving this dying dark, decadent destructive world would you dare to allow the third person of the Godhead to live in your heart even more so this Christmas season
1: You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about this morning's Moment of Hope. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning, your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church.
1: Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Great being with you as well, Jen.
1: Well, you called this morning's moment of hope, life now. And what did you mean by that?
0: Well, we're looking at words that describe Christmas during this Christmas holiday time period, and one of the reasons Jesus came was to give us life now, mm-hmm. now, all of us have a certain number of years that we're going to live on this side of eternity. Only God determines that. He knows when we will be born. He knows when it's our time to go. And in between that time, each one of us is given 24 hours every single day. The question then is, how are we supposed to live this life now? And I think Jesus came to give us a roadmap for how to live this life now. Uh, whenever you see Jesus saying in the New Testament, I came, and then you see the words that follow, you have an insight into why he came into this world, why God put on human flesh to be among us. One of those I came passages is found in John 10.10. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you. Abundantly. Mm. So Jesus wants us to live this life now, however many years we have here now on this earth, in abundance. He wants us to enjoy this life to the full. Well, then that begs the question well, how do you live this life abundantly, to the full? And I think the answer is in how Jesus lived his life. He said, Follow me. Whenever he called a disciple, he said, Follow me. And he was basically giving a peripatetic style of teaching, which means just do what I do. Hmm. And how I live, you just follow me. Well, how did Jesus live? He lived to serve others. He lived to give, not get. He lived in order for others to live more ably. In other words, he gave his life away. Uh, Mark ten forty-five. Jesus said, for the son of man came, there's that I came again, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. So whenever you give your life away, whenever you serve others, whenever you live to give, not give, Whenever you decide that life's not about you, it's about giving away your life to other people, you found true life, Mm. and that's why Jesus came. And we're never more like Jesus than when we picture him on that cross, suffering and dying in our place. That should have been our cross, Mm. taking all of our sins upon himself. The wrath of the Father poured out on his son, not us. When we see that kind of servant leader looking down upon us and forgiving us of our sins, we go, ah. What it means to follow Jesus is to live that way. That's life now, a servant who gives not to be served, but to care for other people.
1: This is so beautiful, and this is something that I see in the moments of Hope Church community and family and something that Marilyn and you model so well for all of us. And I just want to say thank you for doing that.
0: Oh, Jen, you're kind. Well, we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're flawed servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't always do it as well as we would hope, but our hearts truly desire for our lives to reflect the glory of Jesus who lives in us and to serve other people, realizing that life now is about giving our lives away, not always getting from other people.
1: Well, thank you so much for this encouragement today, David. Thank
0: you, Jen. And listeners, would you please remember this Christmas season that life is about giving as you give your gifts away. Be glad that you can be a giver, not a taker, and realize that Christmas Day is not the only time we give our lives away. It's throughout every day of the year.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for unity in our state this Christmas season.